This week's Filmmakers Podcast is brought to you by Massive, the fastest way to send and receive massive film and video files. Send uncompressed dailies, locked pictures, DCPs and more with Massive. Spelt M-A-S-V. Keep listening to hear how you can receive 100 gigabytes for free towards your next transfer. Massive. The Perfect Network. Welcome to episode 263 of the Filmmakers Podcast. Nice music. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Hello, welcome to the show. On today's episode, we have the delightful Benjamin Munns. He is the producer of Tape 13, Stung, Offline, Are You Ready for the Next Level, Lost Ones, Polar, and the Netflix hit Blood Red Sky. Oh, yeah. Joining me as my host today is Tobias Vies. Hello, buddy. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You have your new mic as well. I have a new mic. I don't sound shit. Yeah. <laughs> but only for the intro. Yeah. yeah. Because I yeah, did record on my old mic before on the episode. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, we can all look forward to that then. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, myself and Tobias had a brilliant chat with Ben. Uh, we talked about how luck is massive in film, how the organization side of things is so important as a producer, and how you are one career move away from success or failure. We also talk about what makes a good producer, what does Ben look for in a director or screenwriter, and how he pre-sold his movie Stung for one million at AFM. He also talks about how devastating it is when you don't get a film off the ground, why he joined Rat Pack Productions, and how getting his films on Netflix was a game changer. Toby, I, I love talking to Ben. He was so informative and so interesting. And it's fascinating, isn't it? How people always say to us, why isn't your film on Netflix? Get it on Netflix, it's the most important thing. And I just found it so interesting that here, Ben did do that. And here's a success story from, from behind someone who I did get their films onto Netflix and did incredibly well. Yes, it was a dream come true story. And hearing to all his brilliant stories about how he started in the film industry and having these big dreams, being surrounded in his main cave um, that he talks about with, with all the figures and Batmans in the background and like just a fan of film making it and making it on Netflix and what that meant and yeah, what it changed for him. Really interesting, fascinating, really inspirational as well. Totally agree. That is coming up for you in literally about 30 seconds. But before we get there, thank you so much to those of you who listened to our Ian McKellen episode last week. If you haven't listened yet, uh, finish this one and then go back and listen. How brilliant was he? How amazing to have him on the Filmmakers Podcast, but also just for him to be so open and honest. And to be honest, it was just a delight to hear his voice. I think you put a tweet out, Toby, saying something like, I cried when I heard his voice. I was <laughs> crying the entire time when I was editing it. I was like, oh my God, it's a scandal talking about oh, filmmaking. Oh. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. So yeah, do go listen to that. And thank you so much to all the love you gave us on the socials for... Uh, that episode honestly the amount of love we got was incredible and we really appreciate it honestly it means so much to us when we do when we get love back from you guys as well you know we do this for the for the fun of it so uh thank you and we had a new listener last week as well for the first time ever uh, my mum downloaded podcasts uh, just to listen to the Ian McKellen episode. So the first time ever she'd listened to uh, me hosting the podcast. <laughs> the really? Ian McKellen one. Mine yeah. too. How ridiculous. What? Yes. No way. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And she realized that her English wasn't that good and she didn't understand anything. But she's like, <laughs> hey, at least it's Gandalf, right? But yeah. Exactly. Yeah, she didn't That's even hilarious. watch Lord of the Rings. But yeah. Right. Yeah. right. But, but she still thanks, knew mom, Gandalf was. For the support. Yeah, thanks, yeah. mom. Uh, lots of love to you. Yeah. Love you with all my heart. And it's so nice that you've managed to download that and listen to that. She's now going to go listen to the Mark Strong episode. Uh, and to, I said go listen to the Xmas special as well. We're all having a bit of a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless her. If she's even listening to this one, I have no idea. But if you are, I love you. I love um, you too, Mum. <laughs> what, mine? Yeah. You're on, uh, um, no. This is awkward. <laughs> 
So not only do we have the amazing Ian McKellen, but next week we also have a great guest. From another fantasy world. From another fantasy world. From Game of Thrones world. We have Peter Dinklage. He is joining us next week to talk about his new film Serrano which will be out next week as well as joining him is Calvin Harrison Jr who also stars in Serrano so both of them next week we're treating you Brilliant. we are treating you right let's get to it let's treat you some more this is the fantastic Benjamin Munz enjoy enjoy and enjoy and sit back and relax as well <laughs> are they at the dentist <laughs> Leave. Open wide, <laughs> I'm coming in. <laughs> through your ears, not through your mouth, though. Yes. No, please don't. Uh, you'll never hear us for one thing, but you definitely would probably need to go to the doctor after yeah. that, not the ear one. Here it is. Here's our episode. Viel Spaß. Viel Spaß. Hey. Benjamin. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I love behind you, you've got a Batman. Is that a poster, a sign? Is there, are you in like some sort of cool bat cave right now? Yeah, this is my my um, workspace at home. I like really built in a, a kind of a man cave, my wife always yeah. calls it. This is the first time I think in my life where everything uh, for the first time I have like so many collectibles and stuff as I'm a super big geek and have been a big geek for like the last 20 years and no nice. even way way longer and so I had like this huge collection this is like the first time everything is coming together into one room so it looks <laughs> it's like a museum ah, now it's a little museum it's like absolute it's a it's a ch child's dream come true. I grew up in a in a comic book store in, in Ludwigsburg where oh, I uh, was born <sighs> and I also I became one of the you know not the co-owners but one of the co-bosses over the years and i haven't been working there for the last 15 years but before that and during school time i was always working there and so i grew into the geek the geek heaven and kingdom so you've been collecting for a long time but you it was that kind of your love for film and yeah. because obviously there's a lot of uh, within collection film is a big part of it but you've you know you worked in advertising for a long time you were making commercials uh your camera assistant there you know you're managing a lot of stuff how how did you jump in from your comic book store to making you know uh advertisements it's so funny because this is always it's looking back at everything and i heard so many other people that made the step into the industry that always look back and at one point you have to have a little bit of luck because you know i was my heart was burning and deep passion for for like this kind of, of storytelling mm. and i was like literally sitting every night i was watching tv series and movies and i was in the cinema a lot like way too many times as a kid and i was watching all these all these movies and and series and everything so i was deeply in love with the whole cinematic experience and i really dreamt of doing something like that but the thing is in the area where i'm from which which is the area of stuttgart is mostly famous for one thing and that's definitely not filmmaking or being an artist <laughs> and that's being selling cars and producing cars because this is the area of mercedes and porsche are from and where actually the automobile was invented so wow Oh, everyone go. in my whole family is working in the car industry or is working close in industries close to the car industry. Mm -hmm. And like all my friends from school are having become engineers, um, you know, and working on something and like doing nine to five jobs and having a family and and I just somehow this didn't work for me. So I was happy like being in, in the geek world and not being mm -hmm. having to do all this. So going into advertising was probably the first steps that my parents wanted me to do because they were afraid of all the love for film suddenly pouring out of their the kid and there's no one working in an artistic field in my whole family and by total accident like like i said i was a huge fan of everything i have like one of the biggest blu-ray collections in the world i think like oh, a lot of filmmakers have and i also mm. just do all that and i watched all the making ofs and everything mm. so, but coming yes. off from that i didn't know mm. anyone so i started in classic advertising which was okay but it wasn't the thing that i wanted to do i started to do i, I met a it's a funny story i met a couple of guys directly when i came out of high school by absolute accident because if there is a thing in germany you know you have to i'm not sure if, how it is in britain but you have to go to the army 
after you finish high school for one year, you have to apply. It's it's gone, by the way. This is not happening it's anymore. It's stopped now, yeah. right? It's yeah, stopped. it doesn't. Yeah. We still have it in Austria, though. Yeah, in Austria, you have it, but like it's Damn. army service or something. You have to go, yeah. and if you don't want to do that because you're you're a, a pacifist, I think that's the right word. If mm-hmm. you don't like guns and shit, then you have to do one year of social service, and that means yeah. you work for a social organization. That's what I applied for. I did it. And during this time, there was like a one week where you have to go into some facility and you're trained in in everything, how to how to work with people and shit. So it's an educational thing for one week where you're trained to be a social worker. And during this thing, I met a guy who was doing short. He told us about he's doing short films and everything. And his his older brother is studying at Film Academy, which is the, probably the best film school in Germany. And I think number two in the world right now. So it's a great film school. And that's fun. That's the big coincidence. It, it's, it is in my hometown. So at, I met this guy and he, he told us his older brother is studying there. And I was like, oh, my God. And he said, well, so you're into film, too. And I said, yeah, I'm super into film. And he said, yeah, I'm doing short films with my buddies and I you want to you want to be you want to work on this and I said amazing short films that's like what I always wanted to do and I I was like working for you know organizing all those school trips and was working for the school paper I was Mm. you know playing theater at the school place so I was I was trying as much as I could obviously I was working in the geek shop so there was like this connection to everything totally very creative I was I was trying really hard but my the path in my life wasn't showing in the right direction. So when mm-hmm. this guy said, Hey, you can, we can become friends and we could do short movies together. I literally stopped everything that I was doing and started mm-hmm. doing short films with these guys, his brother. And then, you know, one was the DOP, one was the director and I was the producer yeah. because I already was organizing all these things and was a big organization guy. At this point, mm-hmm. I still hadn't discovered any creative spark in myself because it was literally just, you know, every teacher was saying, no, 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 you have your organization guy. There is no creativity in you, blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. I wasn't seeing that at all, which is fine. I love producing. I, I love working on these things. And then obviously you start talking about stories and you start because obviously when you have a big background in film, it's like you have this in your blood storytelling. You don't, you didn't have to teach me storytelling. Yes. I, I already knew everything about storytelling, which at that point I just discovered. And it was just an, it was an amazing experience with amazing guys. Like I said, his older brother who at that point finished film school and became one of the biggest advertising directors in the world wow. was, you know, becoming fond of me. So I started being a PA on his shoots and I started mm-hmm. to move up the ladder. I became uh, AD on his movie sets from there then it became you know very fast i was invited to other shoots and when you're very passionate about what you're doing i think that's all that people want to see and they saw hey this is this this kid straight out of high school who's interested in film he's just quite some organization skills let's Mm -hmm. get him on board and just have him do shit because i was working 24 hours a day and i for the first like i think I don't know, a year or two years, I was working for no money. I was just doing intern shops and everything. And mm-hmm. I just didn't care anymore. And mm-hmm. so I started working all this. I, I finished my apprenticeship at a local agent, uh, uh, advertising agency. And the day I finished that job, I started working like for the first time on a real music video shoot for some bigger band that they but actually like the advertising director now being a duo were, were shooting and so I, that was really cool because like in Stuttgart, the last thing I did was on my vocal exam. Like they were asking me, I was the first guy ever to call them up and be like, hey, can we move my exam up front, you know, to make it earlier? Great. And they said, never, Great. ever has someone called to ask no. you to move <laughs> no, your like, final move exam. Back. Yeah. I'll move it back. Yeah. They were like, normally saying, can we push it back? And they were like, why? And I said, my flight's going to Berlin. I have to go on this music video shoot. And they were like, okay, let's see what they can do. So I was the first to do it. I came in with like my, like, this was me being 21, you know, and I was so super excited. Like, you know, world can't fuck with me because Mm -hmm. I'm not doing this. I had like my backpack and like my whole stuff with me. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, and they were like, where are you going now? And I was like, I'm going to this movie shoot in Berlin. And like, yeah, the plane's waiting for me and I'm doing this. (laughs) I got got an absolute A plus on this thing. I, but they were, they couldn't stop me at that day. It was like an amazing day because suddenly, you know, everything in my life suddenly pointed in the right direction. And I knew Mm -hmm. I was doing the thing that I really always wanted to do. So it was a magical day. I went to Berlin and shoot this really funny music video that no one cares about. It never, I think it didn't even really came out, but who cares (laughs) at that point? Who cares? cares, 
Yeah. But like you say, it's luck. You you mentioned there about luck being so important and it kind of was for you because that director and the, the other person who was involved there it, they might have been terrible they might have just done something for a laugh and then not done it you got lucky i suppose because that person was also very talented and you said yeah, let's do this and the fact that your work ethic made you want to go hey i'll do this for free right now you're probably living at home you probably didn't necessarily need you wanted the money of course but you could do it and that is amazing the fact that you just went i'm going to do as much as i can get the experience and then suddenly when the big one happens you're ready for it you know and that sounds exactly what you did which is in, which is really incredible how did you then build on that from there and what did you do to sustain it because now you're getting paid work now you're in that position was it just a case of who you'd met and you just kept building from there i think it just keeps on going but the fun fact is i started to like i put the money i think on the right people like you said mm. they were all but it's pure luck actually it's pure it's not putting money on anything it was pure luck that the guy that i met at this social service right thing, turns out to be you know like a film enthusiast who comes from like you know all these creative guys who today mm. are all working in the industry like still all of this group Amazing. from this time is still working like high level in the industry so they all mm. moved up throughout the years and they built your first big network because they are they're actually like friends for 20 years for me like actually if i really think about it it's absolute pure luck it's so funny because you're funny here's a funny story and i think it's so cool to have this on a podcast there's a guy that i met by also by accident who is via facebook who is exactly my age and he started like the same way out and i saw was helping on set just people he likes sure turns out these guys moved up to to be to work in the porn industry and he is now one of the mm -hmm. biggest porn directors in germany and he's one of the heads of the biggest porn production company in <laughs> wow. germany which is very funny because you know it's so easy like i i started be we got to, because he's a big comic book geek and me too. So we met on some of these group boards on Facebook and we were talking about comic boards. And then one day, like I see a photo on his Facebook and I knew he's a young filmmaker. That's what I got from him, you know? And mm -hmm. so he's got this weird photo of two girls in like, you know, tiger tangas uh, sitting on a, sitting on a sofa. And he's like, yeah, first shot done for the day. And I'm like, <laughs> this really <laughs> looks like a porn shoot to me. So yeah. I started Googling him. Turns out like he's like the, one of, he's the David Beckham of the German porn industry. That's how they call him because he's married to a very famous <laughs> porn actress. The image yeah. of that. He even looks a bit like me. Here's a room that looks like he's all these action figures and stuff. And that's the, that's the fun point, you know, if I wouldn't have met my guys and I would have met the guys he met who are all cool young filmmakers mm -hmm. and the, the opportunity that was given to them was like express their artistic freedom if you, if you want. In, mm -hmm. in the porn industry. And this was like, you know, if I started doing really bad rap videos, I'm not even into rap and hip hop, sure. but this was like the opportunity that was given to me to work on these kind of music videos. Mm -hmm. And from there, you know, meeting a guy saying, Hey, we are doing, you know, you're having naked girls in your videos. We are doing something else, but naked girls, you should come over and help us and carry and carry the lights on this and being the DOP mm -hmm. on this. The, the, the chances are so slim that you just one career move or one move you do one day and you're in yeah. a whole different industry and they, and he's still an enthusiastic filmmaker who wants to do great movies. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's so funny, you know, when you see how, how, how slim these chances are where you can end up. Yeah. So yeah, in the end it was pure luck, but, but like like you like you said from there it was really easy to just go you know and then it was clear for me because i started working with these guys who were all at film school i applied for film school mm -hmm. i got taken immediately and then for the first time mm -hmm. you sit in a classroom full of people who all have this burning heart and passion and yeah. you know you belong and then mm -hmm. from there it's just history but up to that point it's yeah it's but but at the same time i think what we got is that you were probably most of the uh, the most passionate guy in the room as well Maybe it was the driving force behind you that you have in your heart that was bringing those projects together, bringing those people together and work with them. And it also shows in your, when you were in, at film school, when you were doing the films Anselina and, um, <laughs> I hope I pronounced it correctly. Uh, oh, and the night Father Christmas died, which you produced, I think also from film school, right? Which yeah. was nominated for a student Oscar. So it shows like this scale and, and, and vision for something bigger. And I think it shows in your, in your films, um, as well, this, this passion and motivation behind it all. Yeah. Let's, as Toby says, let's talk about that then. What do you think makes a good producer? 
What do you think ties it all together? Because producing is tough. It's not easy. You love it. What do you think makes a good one? It's so hard because I worked with the producers of the Resident Evil movies and they did mm -hmm. like, well, these are German guys who live in LA and are producing mm -hmm. big Hollywood movies. You can think about the Resident Evil series, whatever you know you like. And pe mm -hmm. some people like it, some people don't like it. And what the kind of movies they do, they know that. And But I worked with them and these are guys, you know, are now saying nearing the end of the career would be unfair because they're still hot hot and cool and young but, totally yeah but they're they're you know grown up in a sense one of them told me hey ben I, you know he's it, it's kind of you're miserable in this job every fucking day because all you get for being a producer is you're getting beaten up every second and every step of the project mm. like for the rest of your lives there is no there is no surviving and that there is only getting beaten up because the points where you have success are so little and so small compared to the daily job of running mm -hmm. against doors that close or people that sit behind those doors tell you that you're shit, your movie is shit, this yeah. is shit, this is not doing the thing, it's too expensive and that's your day life. So you literally have to work with these absolute devastating frustrations that come with the day job and this is like the thing that's super super hard because even you know when you're a director you you get it but you're still working on something as a producer you you get this baby you love it you want to take it out and show it to everyone and hope you get money for it so you can make the movie then mm. you get the money and you're happy yay then you start making the movie but making a movie is not easy it's just a pure hard job you don't have never you have the budget you want never you get the people you want the most mm -hmm. so you have to struggle through this finally you made it you made the movie you go to a you know you make like the two impossible things for you you got this baby off the ground you got the movie made then you go to a festival and you get bad re reviews then it comes out in the <laughs> cinemas and no one is going to watch that shit uh -huh. so you know then, and then you look at it and you get like a three point something on imdb and you're like mm -hmm. yeah but i really kind of like working on this movie because it was great guys and everything so yeah so it's a good question and, and it was so funny because he he said to me that these frustrations the frustrations you have to work with every day and the only thing i think and this is like where i raise a big fist in the air for all the for my colleagues who are in production is they only do that because they have a passion for filmmaking and a passion for films and that's why producers do that so i think it's the hardest job and mm -hmm. I know that writing and directing is hard. probably writers have a very, very tough life too. But, um, and actors are also like, this is like the hardest job in the world being an actor, but, but being a producer is just, it's, it's, it's not fun. And the only thing that keeps you going every day is like, mm -hmm. for me, it's like that, you know, there was this kid, like I said, 20 years ago that always wanted to do movies. And sometimes I just sit in my bed in the middle of the night and I smile because I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's it. So I, I totally agree. And that's such a great way of putting it. It's the most almost thankless task. It's no wonder that when award season comes around, the producers get, you know, there's five of them up on stage, totally deserving because maybe some of them shouldn't be there. But the ones who've done the actual groundwork and the, the actual mm. heartache and the bullshit and dealing with it all totally deserve all that praise is so hard work and the director and the actors often get all that and producing is one of the most overlooked and people go what does the producer do and you're yeah. like <laughs> producer does everything mate <laughs> the producer makes sure everyone's there i always teach my my um, students in, in the film school i always tell them the producer is the only one who's there from the first second to the last second even the mm. director isn't there anymore mm -hmm. at that point you know sometimes the director is there in the first second when it's his, his he he comes with a project to you sometimes it's a writer sometimes it's a producer who's there in the first second most mm -hmm. of the time the first second it's like these three guys that start something together that they want to make but in the end mostly it's just the producer sitting there looking at the numbers and being like ah damn all mm -hmm. the money is gone damn it <laughs> and the director is already working on something else you know so sure. yeah 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 and that that can be tough and devastating what is it then that you're looking for in a project it's because all your projects that i've uh, watched so far have a big scale and a big vision to them that I'm usually not used to from films produced in Germany. Is that something you're looking for in a project? Is it a, a certain scale? Is it something you bring onto the project? It's so funny because it was the things that I like and I just mm -hmm. did these things. At mm -hmm. one point, even someone, a student of mine asked me if I ever was afraid of something. Mm -hmm. You know, of, of like tackling one of the projects and doing the things. And I said, so funny because 
I, I personally never thought about it if I am, you know, afraid of something. I just blue eyes ran into these things and just thought, yeah, let's yeah. do it. What could the worst thing that can happen to me is that tomorrow I have to work in my comic book store again and tell like a couple of weeks about some amazing stuff and people that I met during the last <laughs> years. That's like yeah. the worst thing that can so, so, but the question you're asking is different. And I would say I would answer it probably different every day. But right now it is, it's two things. So first of all, I'm a producer and I have to make some money and I have to make some movies. So mm -hmm. everything that I get on my table that I think I can sell, because first of all, you're a salesman that I can think I can sell to someone is something I'm looking for. It doesn't matter if it is genre. It doesn't matter if it's a comedy. It doesn't matter if it's a crime story. If I get it on the table and I think I know an executive, I can send this to who might want to buy this. Mm. I'm interested because it would be stupid to not do that. Mm -hmm. Because you never know. I had five years where I haven't done any movie and I was trying to get projects off the ground and I couldn't. And everything that I brought to an executive, they said no to. So what you have to learn from that is, is that at some point you have to do. I'm super lucky. I never had to do something that I didn't want and just had to do for the money. Obviously, mm -hmm. yeah, I had to do that in advertising and everything. But later it becomes a film. I didn't have yeah. to. But I would have done them. And I think that's the big difference. Like every time ever someone, I, I was working on projects that never came together that were standard comedies for German market. I would have loved to have done them because mm -hmm. I still think, you know, like I was offered working for um, Das Boot, The Boat. I'm not sure what's yeah. it yeah. was. Yeah. Like yeah. season four or something. And I thought that's actually, you know, it's better to be working on, on that show and being the producer on that because you're sitting there with young guys in a submarine with machine guns then like having to do like a rom-com for, for a German broadcaster, which is something yeah. I don't watch, I don't really yeah. like and understand. So I would rather work in movies that I watch. But if it comes to, if I get a great rom-com script and I think I can sell it, I would probably just do it because, you know, I also think that Notting Hill and Pretty Woman are amazing movies. Amazing movies. So why yeah. not, why not do that? But on the other hand is how do I select the project? I think for the most, and it's, it's also, I already said it, but you know, I'm right now, there are not these many people in Germany that produce genre films on mm -hmm. on the scale that that i i have started doing it because i also have not done it a lot and i also think you have to be humble for everything that you will do and like i said i would do other stuff too and i think there's better people for other stuff to do but if there is something that eeks my heart then i probably also perhaps without knowing where to sell it i will still try to do it but over the years if something comes along it might be the best script you have read and it happened that happens a lot. You get something you think is amazing, but you mm. don't know where to take it. I have mm. done this for a very long time and couldn't sell these things. And you raise the hopes of your writers and directors a lot. And they hope they can make those movies. And you hope it too. Mm. And then you run around for five years and don't get it off the ground. That's really, really devastating. So I started to select way better and way harder. And if there is something that I don't really know how to sell, then it has to be something that really really gets me going creatively like mm -hmm. like then it has to have orcs and elves and everything and <laughs> yeah. something yeah. where i say this, this script is amazing and i want to work on this i don't know where to sell it but i want to develop it and perhaps one day someone comes up and says hey great yeah. let's do it yeah but moving on to stung quickly stung was literally my first my first real feature movie because this was like we got i got the director we got mm -hmm. this great script for yeah. Stung, for an American writer has written, you know, they, they mm -hmm. over, you know, this was Benny, one of the guys I started doing films with. Oh. Like before film school, I was working on his film sets as a PA and shit. Amazing. So, so I knew Benny very, very long. I started at Rat Pack. He has like, you know, with, he made a short film out of film school that also traveled the world, festivals, LA management agency, blah. Mm -hmm. All of them get that at one point. But, you know, he had some connections to some people. His manager, Amots from Echo Lake, sent him the script from this young writer out of LA, like saying, hey, Benny, he's a big visual effects guy. So he said, hey, this has like giant mutated wasp in it. This is something where he read the script. The script, was, the script was really cool. And he came to me with the script and said, hey, Ben, you started Redback. You were interested in doing something. I said, oh, it's amazing. 
by accident, you know, we knew some guys from XYZ just from the markets and from mm -hmm. the festivals. So we pitched it to XYZ. They loved the script and they said, okay, they think they can, they can pre-sell this in, in Berlinale and at AFM. So we went over to AFM, Benny and I, and like I met, but this was also one of the great days that, you know, where you're standing at the, I'm not, it, it has a name. It's a very famous Marina something. Marina, hotel. Yeah. Yeah. I know in, in LA where the AFM is mm -hmm. and they were pre-selling the shit out of Stung. And we made this little trailer that costs oh, like cool. 300 bucks. It's amazing. It's still on, it's still on um, Vimeo. Um, it's this amazing sales trailer that we made where a guy is running away from one of these wasps and gets stung in the head in the end. And that went viral, by the way, just <laughs> into, but they, they used it as a sales trailer. And Perfect. so the movie yeah. sold literally like shit. I think we sold 30 territories in the first day. We had the first million together wow. on that. What? So this yeah. now, and now also, this is a funny story because stung wasn't a big success. But the thing is that stung pre-sold for more than a million euros into 30 countries in the world. Wow. And the biggest success out of Germany, which is the Fuck You Goethe movies and the Fuck You Goethe or yeah. Suck Me Shakespeare, how it's translated into English, made 7 million auditions in Germany. And everyone involved in these movies became multimillionaires from the actors, the directors, the producers. It's also Constantine. It was produced at Rat Pack. So mm -hmm. I know, you know, I'm like sitting next to these people. And they all became super rich and super successful and the biggest players in the industry overnight. And Suck Me Shakespeare or Fuck You Goethe sold into the world for 400 or 500K in the end. In the, that's like what the movie did. And it also sold in a lot of territories because it's the most successful German thing, film right. like of the decade at that yeah. time. But that's yeah. like what you do if you sell a German comedy over a sales and you make like 500k that's like the max that you can do and everyone yeah. is like happy with it mm -hmm. and stung sold on his first day for a million into 30 territories <laughs> or so so that was like yeah. incredible so literally the success for stung was that we pre-sold the movie mm -hmm. for the money that we could do it and then we just it was just me and all the friends like i said from before film school mm -hmm. we got together and made this movie and it was an incredible experience we got american actors we got lance Henriksen, and we just made we had so much fun doing this movie. It was one of the greatest times ever. And then the movie came out. We went to Tribeca for the world premiere, which was amazing, obviously. Then we went to a Fantasy Film Fest in Germany. We made a lot of festivals. We even won prizes on Stung. And it was great. But in the end, you know, it already was pre-sold. So there was not no yeah, hype. There's no thing. worry. And then, right? and then in the end, if it comes all together, uh, I must say we made a genre piece, a creature feature horror film in the sense of the creature feature horror films from the 80s. And there was one yeah. review stating, hey guys, if this would have been done in the 80s, this would have been a cult classic. It would have been. But, yeah, but guess yeah. what? Yeah. Guess what? The 80s are over and mm -hmm. it's 2013. <laughs> yes, so, <sadly. laughs> so that means you have, if you do a genre film like that, and we had all the creative freedom, there was no one stalking us into doing anything. We could have mm. just done, you know, done something and taken it off the roof, you know, but with us coming from Germany, we just wanted to prove that we are able to do a horror film on a scale and on a level that is internationally approved but creatively yeah. we could have gone totally crazy and we didn't we kept it very very and today looking back at it even benny the director and we sometimes yeah. ah, damn we just should have taken it off the roof we just should have been <sighs> but this was before the boys was out this was before even before all these crazy netflix shows where hats explodes before the preacher before everything mm -hmm. you know yeah, you would yeah. just take things you know let's say it like this it was before that pool happened you know, that pool was the mm, first time yeah, where, yeah. you know, a mainstream movie was taking like everything that you could up to that point only see yeah. in an indie movie. So, for example, the only movie that came out in that year that beat us at all the festivals was Turbo Kid. And Turbo Kid Turbo is an Kid. 80s style yeah, movie yeah. where they had new BMX guys and soft hats and everything. And this was over the top and we weren't. So this was like the movie to get. But fun fact is that also Turbo Kid didn't make a lot of money, even though mm -hmm. being the movie coming out of the markets at the time Stunt came out. That's, you see, that's so interesting, isn't it? Uh, but as long as it, like say, you've pre-sold it, so therefore you've made your money back or you've made the money to make the movie movie which is so important yes. that's what it's about you know obviously it'd be great if it made a shit ton of money afterwards but it also like say put you i suppose even further on the map you mentioned how stung was a great experience and you said you know it's one of your, your best type you felt it was best what was it about it that worked what was it about it that is a great experience for you and what can other producers learn to try and get that experience it was movie making with friends 
that put it was in mm. the end. You know, it was all of us working together for little money. It was a low budget horror movie. And we just had the greatest time. We could, for the first time, do everything that we learned ourselves. You know, I was the boss on this. You know, my guys who did visual effects worked for all these big visual effects. And this time they were the bosses on this. And, right. you know, this was Benny's first movie. So we all, for the first time, you know, we could actually do what we wanted and what we learned to do how we wanted mm. to do it. And it was, we just had the greatest of times. This was just a really, really funny, even looking back, it feels like we shot forever. It was only shot in 23 days or so. It's not even a long shoot, mm. but this was like really, really, it was just fun doing it. How come you feel like you might not have had that, you know, since, you know, on Polar or in Blood Red Sky? Is it just because, like you say, it was just the friends and the time and everything and it just felt like you couldn't change the world and then later on other problems arise that sort of stop it becoming you know, making it go back to being producing his hard work again. Yeah, but it's so funny because especially the two movies that you just mentioned, but Polar and Blood Red Sky were both movies that were an as good experience doing those movies. Ah, but here's okay. the thing, doing movies is really fun. Like you, this is like the playground that you have been waiting for <laughs> together. When you were able to go on set, normally I also had shit experiences on set, but Normally, it should be you working with people who really wanted to do something together. And on Polar, Polar was a tough shoot. It was minus 15 degrees somewhere in Toronto. Wow, wow, wow. And it was, it's a crazy movie. You know, this is like, there's so much crazy stuff happening. But, you know, and then Blood Red Sky was the hardest experience because we were in lockdown. We sometimes didn't. After 15 years, we started doing that movie. And then we didn't even know if we could finish it after two weeks of shooting. We had to go home. And we put like this whole pandemic happened. We did didn't know if we would ever come back to finish the movie mm. or if Netflix would pull the plug on us. And so, but it's still, we, we were like sitting there, like, you know, kids just waiting and, you know, having beers <laughs> with each other and just waiting to go. And so it was, it was also big, like these, these three movies were all big, fantastic experiences, oh, but fantastic great. because it was always hard and tough, but. Mm. But the, the last two are, it's sort of Polar and Blood Red Sky were Netflix movies. Now, obviously Rat Pack had worked in and around that world, but for you, that was your first two. What was it about the pitches to Netflix that made it work so that they, you know, agreed to make these movies? Very, very different stories how these movies came together and how they came to Netflix. Because, for example, on Polar, this was produced from the Constantine LA office. It's the guys that did the Resident Evil movies and everything. Jeremy they Bolt put this and, movie. Yes. Yeah, it's Jeremy Bolt yeah. and, and Robert Greg, Coulter. Yeah, yeah. And right. these are these are like amazing. You know, these are still they are amazing guys and mm -hmm. amazing producers, all having done these amazing projects. And I was I was sent by Martin Moshkowitz, who is the head of Constantine Film, because I was complaining. Like I said, I hadn't done a movie for five years. I tried to, to get a lot of genre, cool genre movies off the ground, and nothing came to fruition so it was a really hard time in my life and i was complaining to him about how bad the industry is and that i don't have a, i don't fit in there should i go back to my comic book store and mm -hmm. he said he can't listen to me anymore complaining <laughs> <laughs> this I, was to, like, to shut you up i'm gonna give you a movie right on 20th on december and yeah. i was on the plane to toronto on the 6th of january starting like on the first day of production on polar so i was not the one financing it it was all jeremy robert's job but what happened is the the movie they uh, they pre-sold it at afm2 and it came together really nicely and then netflix came in at that point and said okay we're taking everything so they could do the movie on the budget on the budget they wanted always and that's the reason why they gave it to netflix because you know the money netflix paid was so well and it was the but you know the, the, what you budgeted it for but normally mm -hmm. you never get the money that you never. budget for you right. have to make cuts but this yeah. time they didn't have to make any cuts so this was great <laughs> gave me the opportunity to join in on the yeah. fun and so that's probably the reason that was great that's why i went to netflix because honestly giving a movie to netflix is from a filmmaker's point of view it's great because they have this amazing huge reach reach is an important word today mm -hmm. and 
and you get mm-hmm. put on a map with your movie. If your movie's on Netflix, like a lot of people have seen, like for example, it's a good explanation if we go back to Stung. Stung comes out around the world. It has a, a had a theatrical release in the US, which was amazing. No one saw this movie. No one mm-hmm. went to the cinemas and saw it. It's a very small German indie movie. No one goes to see these kind of films. Even in Germany, no one watched it. It's okay. <laughs> there was no marketing power behind it. It's a video movie, so it's sure. nothing yeah. that happens. Yeah. That's okay, but the thing is, one day, like I think a half a year or even a year later after Stung was already released, like our IMDb numbers, you know, the star meter and, mm-hmm. and you know, my clicks on the group on Facebook, everything started to go up. And we were like, what the fuck's happening? And Benny, Benny, like the director, he gets calls from news outlets about interviews and everything. And we mm-hmm. think, what just happened? And then we found out that for, for a Halloween special, and this was like Netflix in 2014. So it wasn't the Netflix we're talking about, the tech giant today. It was still a small streaming uh, service. So in 2014, the movie turned out to be in a Halloween feature on Netflix. You know, they have like this big bar saying Halloween feature. And it was like the number two or yeah. so on it. So that's mm. suddenly where people started to watch the movie. And that's probably the time where I realized, okay, today Netflix is the pure power actually, because even having a theatrical mm. release doesn't mm. mean that people are going to watch your movie. But if it, your movie's on Netflix, people might watch it. Netflix pays you for doing the movie, but they don't include you in on success. And that's a big thing because normally what movie making has been to till today is a huge gamble on the theatrical market. You put a lot of money onto the, onto the roulette board. And one of these movies might make money back in very, very different ways, but that's the roulette that produce a place. And then hopefully you get enough subsidiary money to cover your risk. That's how movies were made up to this point. You get money from funds, try mm-hmm. to get as much as possible. So you have to put in as lo- as less as personal money as possible mm-hmm. from your own money. You mm-hmm. don't put money your own money into movies. It's a big rule. You have to try to get as much soft money it's called as possible. You try to get as much hard money from pre-sales and TV stations, everything into a movie. Then you put it out on the market and then you hope that from the money that comes back, after you have paid back all your investors, let's call them, you make money. And that's how a lot of money was made because still, for example, on these are the numbers are open. Everyone knows how much a movie is making. Mm-hmm. And half of that money that, for example, I don't know, like let's say Spider-Man is coming out and makes 300 million of a, a global no. haul. Yeah. Yeah. 150 goes to the studio. In a case in Germany, that would mean, you know, directly the distribution company, they take their cut out. And then from 150 million, let's say, just in case, 50 million end up at the producer. And suddenly everyone in this production company, plus everyone is fucking rich. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's the gamble we all took. Yeah, it's it's a thousand movies that come out and only two of them from the indie circuit are doing it. You know, But there's still, there's this one indie hit every year. Mm-hmm. It's the Big Fat Creek Wedding. It's Juno. You know, these movies become giant hits and make money that normally a studio geek really be behind. Do. Yeah. So it's like the pandemic destroyed all of that. It's not existing anymore, the mm-hmm. system. It exists if you have a Bond movie at the right time. Uh-huh. But the whole system changed a lot. So Netflix is buying movies. They buy the, the universe, it's called. That's what's in their contract. They buy everything. You don't have mm-hmm. even like a something. You can make deals with them, obviously. Yeah, but you can, can't even play it on the moon. Yeah, it, they have the universe. Yeah, they have all the, Normally, they have all the originals. <laughs> They have all the rights. They could play yep. on Mars in 50 years. You don't yeah, know that, but they have true. everything. They have it. Yeah. And you don't make any more money. That was a big thing, <laughs> especially on Squid Game. I think now they are paying, sometimes they are paying uh, bonuses or um, prime primos for actors and so on if they have mm-hmm. like this super huge Yeah, because actors got upset with it because before they were yeah getting yeah. a percentage from the box office. Now they weren't. Suddenly Netflix were going, well, we take all the money. See you later. And the actors were going, hang on. But you have to say that they have been paying actors better than others you know if you're mm-hmm. doing a netflix show you get paid to your normal amount you're mm-hmm. not getting paid indie money and that's mm-hmm. also you know like yeah. you know proof but there's a reason why will smith was doing bright which is a movie that wasn't theatrical release but you can imagine what he got as a you know payment yeah. on that movie was something that he would normally get on a movie that he would do and get all the bonuses yes. and like i said it's a gamble not every 
Will Smith film is making money off the, you know, of, of a theatrical box release. Anyway, yes, yeah. true. So you never know. So that's like the big, the big secret behind this and why everyone. But like I said, you know, Netflix came in and this is a movie where you can be happy. It's a Netflix. It's a right, right platform to have Polar there. Mm-hmm. It's a weird movie. I'm not sure who would have gone to have seen it in theaters. Right. Even with the, the, t- the talent you had, the cast, Mads Mickelston, Vanessa Hudgens, who's having a, a real turnaround in her career as well at the moment as well. Uh, Catherine Winnock, you know, there's a, Matt Lucas, you know, the English actor there. There's so many great casts. So therefore you might have got some interest, but it is an offbeat film. So it's a bit tough to get people to come see it. But uh, yeah, like you say with Netflix, well, you've got an inbuilt audience who like those types of films netflix target those people who like these type of films they saw a film like it hey check out polar you know uh it's so it's for, for a producer hey you might not get any back end type of thing it's a buyout but you get but your movie made you get you your movie get made an audience that watches an audience. These things. so yeah. it's two cool things that you sometimes don't even have on a theatrical release so yes. that's great and I'm, I'm like if we talk you know polar was a huge hit at that point but if we talk about blood red sky it was such a tremendous mm. hit you know and but the thing is for example martin the head of constantine he called me up and he said hey congratulations on the success but just to be sure you know this 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 doesn't happen a lot and it only happens if you have three things in the right position that is you have the right product on the right platform you know for the right for the right people you know and that's like if you don't have mm. all those three things mm. you know then it doesn't it doesn't work you know you have the right product the right platform or at the right time for the right people you know so you don't know you know if blood red sky wouldn't have been on netflix it wouldn't have been a big success. It was only a success because it was released at the right time at the right players. So, and this, yeah, like I said, to, to, today's success has changed because my life hasn't changed. I haven't felt any apart from getting like, you know, a couple of more followers or whatever. My life hasn't changed because of Blood Red Sky, but the perception in the industry has changed, which is great because this is like literally, I've been running around for 10 years telling people if you do genre right, and if you really take the money to do these things and not only take proceeding kind of money or only take, <laughs> you know, the money that yeah. you would normally buy a script with to do mm-hmm. a movie, if you like really do this and Netflix really went out, gave us the real budget this movie would cost and we made the movie and it turns out to be, hey, finally in the end, hey, even the Germans can do a genre movie. Yeah, because we got the right time. We got the money to do it for the first time. I think ever in German history, this was like, not only, yeah, we've got five mi- million to do a vampire comedy, but it's also important that there's some, you know, sex scenes because there's like Twilight mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. No, it was like, there was no compromise in this. This was the script, Peter has written netflix was super into it like after 15 years running around talking to executives you know peter it was peter the director peter thward mm-hmm. he gets the call from an executive at netflix who was before that working at universal who liked the script and he was at universal but he got axed so he goes to netflix five years <sighs> later and he's like the first one to call peter and be like hey what happened to the script wow by by, by pure luck the script wasn't turned around at the world sales company because we were always running around come trying to sell the movie but no one wanted it without the big actor Mm -hmm. so we were talking to you know all these let's say bigger actresses out of la to make it we were were in deep talks with olga korylenko for a long time and this is Mm -hmm. olga korylenko it's not angelina jolie at that star level you know Mm -hmm. but we were trying to get them so we can get a million from the us to get the movie done and we were like at the mm. budget range of like five million, like all these movies, and we would have gone to Bulgaria to do it. And, yes, yes, you know, this is like <laughs> this is like this exactly. It would have been a video movie. You know, we were mm-hmm. talking about can we get a million to get Bruce Willis into one of the scenes? Because yeah, yeah, if he's in, and we're like, yeah, we, have, we even have a role in the movie that could be great for a cameo. But one day with Bruce Willis, come on, this will even make the movie shittier just because <laughs> it becomes not real and plastic and. Yeah. This is, then it would just have been a video title. We would have done this video title running around for 15 minutes. Then, then you get the call from the exec at Netflix, which is David Cossey, and he said to Peter, Peter, let's do it the way you always wanted to do this movie. Let's do it in, in, in German. That's the dream. Yeah. It became a real dream come true. And if it wouldn't have yeah. been for Netflix, the movie would have never been made and never at that scale that we could do it. And then guess what? What I have been telling everyone turns out is true. And even like kids in Brazil want to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. And it became the number one movie in the US for German 
vampire movie that's the number one in the US that's like what in, the in a German language that? yeah yeah it's like yeah. never never this was like an industry changer how brilliant and I take it because of Polar it was was any success of Polar did that help for you to get Blood Red Sky made it was no, just all Peter nothing. right and the script it Amazing. was all Peter wow I didn't do anything on that it was good but the thing was I come back from I, I was, like I said, I was devastated going to Polar. I find my love in movie making back at the mm. set of Polar, doing this cool movie, running around, you know. I'm in this movie so many times because I just, you know, oh, we need someone with a machine gun in the front. I, I already have the uniform on. I'm standing there. I don't have anything else to do. So, like, we had so much fun. And this was so cool. And I come back and I, you know, my, my heart, I get the little yes. flame burning again yeah, on my little heart. So, I come back and I got the call to do Blood Red Sky and Peter wanted we've been running around for 10 years Christian and me have been running around for 15 years so I said yeah I, I absolutely I was at that point I was even booked for another right, movie okay. and I said no to the other movie and I went on to do uh, Blood Red Sky which was great but it, there was even Christian you know we, we've been keeping this project alive for 10 years yes but in the end doing the final say was was Peter and that's also what Netflix does Netflix wants great you know He's a triple, he's a he's an A-list director from mm -hmm. Germany. He has a script that he always wanted to do. That's so much Netflix to give mm -hmm. him the chance to do it. If it feels entertaining and, and mainstream enough. And the script was always fantastic for Blood Red Sky. It's, it's a good script. One of the best scripts I have written. It was a page turner, thriller script. You know, it was, yeah. it was good. Now, so, and I take you that must make a huge difference for you if the script is an absolute winner it's one of those that you're like it's a page turner i have to make this movie you've mentioned a couple of directors now and i was wondering what are you looking for in a director what makes a good collaboration with a director from a producer's point of view that's a tough that's a really good question and i want to extend it to the writers because writers are not getting yes. enough, enough credit for what they do and writers are Writers are the key element of this whole industry. And I've, to me, a writer is more important than a director because there are different directors. You know, the directors that write, the mm -hmm. directors that just come on set and just do the job and just, you know, direct. sometimes they are big visionary directors that have like a big vision yeah. for any, and develop with a writer and everything. But these are like the two, like I said, it always starts, it always comes from the triforce of producer, director, and writer. And so what do I look like in a, for in a writer or in a director? It's so hard because to say it, mostly it's, you know, it's what they probably what they bring is so important and it's the package they have. I look at short films directors do. I look at, I read the scripts they have written, but also a good, the best writer, best director can make a shitty movie. And I think a bad director can out of nowhere do an amazing movie. All that happened before so many times. So mm -hmm. there is no rule to that. I think it's a, in the end, it's a gut feeling that you need to have and you need to know that you can take it from there. And it's probably, this is probably the hardest decision that you can make but here's the thing and it's funny <laughs> when i package something when i package yeah. even like the like all the big projects in my head that didn't come together and haven't become movies mm -hmm. when i packaged all of these movies like from the first second normally onward i know who should do the movie or if the one involved is the right one or if the writer is the right one or who i should mm -hmm. get for the casting it's really really a weird thing but okay. I know, and if an executive comes to me that I sent the screen, it's like, ah, what do you think about the director? Shouldn't we change him? And so that always hurts because I have the feeling that if we just keep it in the creative circle that I have in my head, this movie is going to be amazing and it will work out and it's going to be great. And it's something that's really funny because I did something that I, if I look at Christian, who is a very successful producer, and then Martin, who is big, they all have mm -hmm. that. They have, they look at materials and they in their head tell mm -hmm. you, this is the guy doing it. This is the thing. And when they pitch it to you, suddenly it becomes a package and it's a full thing. And it's like, and it's still calling out the friends from somewhere where they know or some great mm -hmm. creatives they know and get something. That's probably the magic thing is uh, the packaging mm -hmm. thing. And for and here's a, here's yeah. a story. And I don't want to brag. I hate bragging. I try to be humble. Like I said, this is now, you know, you, two guys and I talking. So I talk a lot and talk a lot about me. So, but the thing is we were on Polar and there was the role of the snow bunny 
assassin who has later sex with, with a fantastic sex scene with Mads, and they couldn't find an actress for this role. Your po- your porn career came back it. into yeah that was it that was it yeah. <laughs> it's coming full circle that was coming full circle yeah. it's really yeah. fun yeah um, I I just had seen in Cologne where I lived at that point I saw an art house film with a young actress from Germany who has been kind of a starlet Ruby mm-hmm. Ophi and she has been in this art house movie where there has been a lot of sex and she is like this girl fatale working for a rich girl in a farm and she you know she has sex with the with the farm boy but you know she tricks this guy into giving her money so it's a, it's a real art house movie like I said a lot of sex you know French French kind of mm-hmm. art house movie um, and I saw it and I thought she was fantastic in it and it was really cool so I'm sitting there on the set of Polar and surrounded by all these big names. I mean, Jonas Ackland is the mm. director and you're sitting there with all these people that have done so many things and you just look up to them. And then I opened my mouth at that point where they couldn't get an actress. And I said, I know a girl from Germany who could really play this role. And Ruby got the role and Ruby out of this role became number one on IMDb star meter for, I think, to be and number one. That's not no. nothing. That's like she became number one just for playing this role. Like, like I said, this is something where you sometimes have a gut feeling and if it works out, it, it just, I knew that Ruby would be mm. perfect for this role. She's per, she is perfect for it. There's no one better in the world, I think, who could have played it. And it's, it's great. And then, yeah, sometimes you have that. And I think that's perhaps something I'm not sure mm. if you have to have. Sometimes I'm totally dead wrong with my decisions and the gut feeling. But, but, but it's about having an eye and a vision and sticking with it and going look I think these per- this person would be great she'd be great he'd be great and I think that's what it's about and that sounds like you've got that eye and that vision um, could you give some advice to a young producer or a producer who is breaking out right now I don't have to be young necessarily from what you've learnt what your experiences has been that you could help them potentially yeah here's a, we could move on and I have so many more funny stories but this is another funny story that will answer this question in the best way possible I was a young filmmaker just finished my zombie series at in film school I go to the Frankfurt Book Fair, which is probably the biggest book fair in the world, and they do a lot of book rights yeah. and everything. So yeah. for some panel discussion, they have David Heyman, who is the producer of all yeah. the Harry Potter and Padding movies. This was Harry Potter was just over with. I'm a big geek, as you know. So this was like a small panel before I was on that panel talking about my zombie series, but before he came on stage. So he comes on stage, he's being interviewed. People can ask questions. Obviously, this is a book fair, so you have a lot of, you know. Um, comic con kind of people that line up standing at the microphone oh, asking yeah. questions and everything so this was pretty cool so i had that question to him i i can't really remember what the question was but it was about something that ron did in the books that wasn't in the movies and how they decided mm-hmm. on that and he answered the yeah. question in a cool way so after the thing obviously this is david Heyman. he's at the one still one of the biggest best producers in the world having done what he has done he walks out and there's like this press following up behind him walking with him out of the room so i like i stand at the door wait for him and i just literally grabbed him and said to him hey um david i'm ben i'm a young producer just coming out of film school and i just wanted to say um to you that like that your work inspired me a lot nice. that's all that i said to him and i, I think that's in robert rodriguez uh, the rebel without mm-hmm. a cost book is that that's what you should say to one of your idols, like, hey, you work inspired. And that's why I said it. It's also a funny <laughs> side. That's why I went to David Heyman and said to me, hey, you work inspired. He obviously inspired me a course, lot. But- so so I, was, I, was, I was literally starstruck just standing there and was like, and, but mm. here's the thing, David Heyman was one of the few people that I met. He stood there for a second, looking me in the eyes, shaking my hand and he gave me what we call like, you know, the geek moment that you want if you want to meet your star. It's never long. You get him but he recognized me in the second he understood what i said and he took my arm leaned over to me and said hey ben i know hey guy thank you just you know there will be a lot of doors closing in your face in your career and all you can try to do is like keep knocking down those doors by and then he went away Mm. 
And I think it's a great, mm. it's probably his, it's probably what he read in the book that he should ask. It was, it was probably in Rodriguez's Rodriguez book. Like, oh, Rodriguez, are you like? <laughs> the next chapter. And so, but, but I still think it's a brilliant yeah. answer to anything. It's like, hey, mm. because it's, especially after I told you how it produces day literally looks like with all the devastations and desperation. Yeah, doors close, close every day and you have to try to keep Keep them reopening every day. And that's what your that's literally what your job is. I finally have got and that's funny because after this I come out and I have an answer to the question, what does a producer do? Because I never had a really good, I had mm -hmm. some good answers, but now I have the perfect answer. It's like I'm kicking doors open. Brilliant. That is amazing. And so true. That's absolutely yes. the way to get movies yeah. made. You got to kick down the doors, open them up. Hi, I'm here. Brilliant, brilliant. That's what David yes. Heyman and, and if David fucking Heyman <laughs> says it, we're going to fucking believe it. Thank you, David. Uh, what legend. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, David. If he ever listens <laughs> in, he, he will. He listens every week. Really <laughs> uh, Benjamin Munns, thank you so much. Honestly, this has been amazing. We could talk forever, and I think we probably will after this. But, but Toby's got to edit this down as well into an hour. So uh, that's always fun for him. Can people find you on the social media? Do you do Twitter, Instagram? What's your handle? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. You can follow us on Instagram. Where can they follow us, Charles? The Filmmakers Podcast uh, on Instagram. Instagram or Filmmakers Pod on Twitter. Uh, this has been brilliant. This has been really fun. You can go out there and make your film. You can uh, get it made. You can find the right people and the right connections. And if you're lucky enough uh, to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down just as Ben has done. This has been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. You've been amazing. Really appreciate you listening. Uh, we've had an amazing time. Ben, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. This was great. It was big fun. It was. Toby, you're a star as always. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ben. Take care, everyone. We will see you next Tuesday, as always. Keep your dream alive. Keep making those films. Make it happen. Do it. Uh, whatever you can get that script to the best possible it can be as Ben says take care everyone to me I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> send them all to, to Ben <laughs> 6,000 scripts coming your way good luck uh, <laughs> see you all next Tuesday bye 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 oh before you go if you enjoyed listening to us today please consider supporting the podcast on Patreon